Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors and contributors of Strategy Watch discuss current events and other military-related topics with a splash of history. I'm your host, Dan Masterson. Joining us today is Jim Dunnigan, editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author, and acknowledged pioneer and innovator in board war games. Also joining us today is Austin Bay, associate editor of Strategy Page, military author, columnist, and retired Colonel, U.S. Army Reserves. Uh-oh. Good morning. If Taiwan was to be attacked by China, Jim, how would the Chinese do it? Uh, with great difficulty. The Taiwanese have been improving their defenses for the last, oh, especially the last few years. They recently changed their draft law, so the troops stay in longer and they're trained in infantry tactics. They also want to, they're going to start, you know, establishing a trained reserve, again, like Ukraine did. Now, how much time they're going to have, I don't know. But see, the biggest problem China has is if they attack Taiwan, it's a it's a high risk, you know, low uh, low payoff, you know, uh, situation. First of all, it's difficult. Uh, despite being an island, there are only about 14 uh, beaches you can land on, so that reduces the number of beaches the uh, Taiwanese have to have to uh, watch. <coughs> they also have the Taiwanese have a lot of missiles. Uh, they also have uh, you know anti ship missiles, especially. Uh, but they also have airfields that are based on the reverse slope of um, of the many mountains <laughs> that comprise uh, Taiwan. Uh, so they've been preparing for a Chinese attack. Now, the Chinese apparently are still planning on using over a thousand short range ballistic missiles. Now, that's that's a that's a half an airstrike. Uh, but the, the uh, Taiwanese have known about that for over a decade. And they've been preparing to, you know, basically survive that as best they can. The United States has also adjusted its, uh, its strategy. The biggest problem the United States has, ironically, is they don't have enough uh, Severon, you know, uh, fuel and, and other supply ships uh, to support a uh, major fleet operation uh, in that part of the Pacific. Now, that's a problem we've had for years. In peacetime, it's not so much of a problem because you can always hustle back to one of our many bases in the area. Um, but the Chinese also have to uh, face the fact that if the Americans get in trouble, uh, the South Koreans and uh, the Japanese will get involved or are likely to get involved. Now, China is already threatening the South Koreans. South Korea doesn't have much to uh, uh, fear from the North Koreans anymore. Um, but they also have the Chinese to worry about, and uh, the Chinese basically got very upset when the uh, South Koreans started improving their anti-missile capabilities, uh, because that's apparently where the um, Chinese missiles are aimed these days. Um, So China right now is in a big problem economically, in terms of uh, uh, working age uh, population, the population is shrinking, uh, they have not implemented a lot of the reforms they've been needing to do for years. Uh, for example, uh, uh, they've meant even before COVID, they were working on establishing a true nationwide health care system, which would have been invaluable, uh, you know, in COVID. That's why they took strenuous efforts to prevent the spread. Now, they lied about that. Uh, 
And now they can't lie about the latest outbreak, which is the, uh, the lower lethality, but, uh, you know, quick, faster spreading uh, version, which is basically, uh, you know, let me put it this way. Their exports to the United States were down 20 percent versus the past year, uh, mainly because of, uh, you know, uh, shutdowns. I mean, exports to the United States. These were basically uh, shut down because the uh, Chinese had uh, not nationwide, but city by city, region by region, trying to stamp out the new strain of COVID, which, again, they don't have protection from. They refuse to accept Western uh, antivirals, you know, COVID uh, vaccines, because, hey, we're Chinese. But the ones they do are, are not very effective at all. Indeed, the story was, and it's probably true, that the senior officials in China did quietly import Western uh, COVID vaccines and protected themselves. But the rest of the country is at risk. Now, whether or not that story is true, most Chinese believe it because they, they know they've been denied a, an effective uh, COVID vaccine simply because the, the government wants to score points. Um, the Chinese, by the way, were behind the efforts that came up about 20 years ago when, when Trump was starting with the uh, uh, rapidly developing an effective uh, uh, vaccine. They were the ones doing the hacking, trying to get in. Apparently, they didn't because they still haven't got uh, as effective a, a COVID vaccine as the rest of the world. Um, so they have that problem. Again, this is underway right now. Uh, the economy is slowing down. Uh, their, their, their plans for, you know, surpassing the United States in GDP are, are on hold, really. I mean, the, the United States has its own problems with its, you know, rising national debt. But the Chinese debt is even larger. And uh, they are in much less of a position to pay it down. They have the banking crisis, the real estate crisis, um, as well as the shrinking population because of the working age population, because of the one child rule that, uh, you know, started in 1980 and went on for about 30 years. Uh, so obviously that's a, that's a time bomb, you know, which is un- it's still going off and it'll be going off for another, you know, a couple of decades. So if the Chinese were to attack Taiwan, aside from the difficulty, uh, they would basically make their economic situation even worse because they would be cut off. Uh, Chinese shipping wouldn't get anywhere. Uh, because they would basically be under a naval blockade. Even if we didn't basically go in and try and attack Chinese ports, uh, their shipping wasn't going to reach China because they basically have few, you know, ports that are not, you know, uh, blockadable. And um, the other problem with Taiwan is even if they took Taiwan, Taiwan has a lot of essential uh, components they manufacture and if those uh, factories are destroyed or damaged, uh, or if the Taiwanese destroy them, if they see the losing, uh, the Chinese are out of luck. The rest of the world is in a better position uh, to replace uh, those essential components. Uh, the Chinese have been hustling for years to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, accelerate their own uh, production of the electronic chips and other components. Uh, they've done a few, but not enough. And we basically uh, uh, further limited their ability by stopping exports of fab equipment. These are the fabrication equipment for for chips. So they can't manufacture a lot of chips, or at least it's going to take them longer. So the Chinese have a lot going against them if they try and attack. In other words, what's the point? Uh, The Taiwanese are going to put up a big fight. Xi Jinping, for example, recently said, 
they we must increase the readiness of our armed forces. Well, that's an understatement. They've been saying that for years. The Chinese have not fought a major war since Korea, and they did that to basically pay off a debt they owed to Russia. And when it was, and when the when the when the armistice was signed after Stalin died, they basically told the Russians, "Our debt is paid." And of course, it tellingly, the Russians have kept a, a disproportionate number of troops on the Chinese border, even with most of their troops from other areas, including the Norwegian border, where the the uh, Chinese troops guard the uh, northern fleet bases. Uh, they've been withdrawn, sent into Ukraine, where they've been, you know, chopped up. Uh, as the Norwegians describe it, uh, they have villages of, of widows across the border now. I mean, they, they get a lot of information, you know, from uh, from the, uh, the uh, across the border. So that's a pretty source of accurate intel. Um, so the Chinese have every disincentive to attack Taiwan. Now, if somebody does attack Taiwan, it's a dynamic situation. The Taiwanese are rapidly in improving their defenses. And the Chinese are desperately trying to become economically secure enough to withstand the blowback, the economic blowback, if they attack Taiwan. So what it comes down to is there no, there's no rational reason right now and for the foreseeable future for the Chinese to attack. Now, it's a popular, you know, uh, what if to, to bounce around. Because it justifies, you know, more larger budgets for the uh, not just the American Navy, but the the uh, the South Korean and Japanese Navy. In fact, with the Japanese and South Korean fleets uh, and much smaller contributions from other fleets in the area, uh, the uh, that combined fleet is larger than the Chinese fleet. And of course, the Chinese fleet has not fought a war in a long time. Of course, neither are the Chinese and South Koreans, but the Americans have. And we've been basically uh, undertaking, you know, vigorous <laughs> naval operations, even without fighting, uh, you know, for over, well, since 40 years, you know, it's after Vietnam, there was a lull, and now we're back at it. And, of course, we're a victim of our own success in that department because we haven't got a na enough naval yards to do the necessary maintenance to keep all those ships going. So it's problems inside of problems inside of problems. Bottom line. Nobody has a uh, a good incentive to go after Taiwan. Austin, I I can't help but uh, think back to uh, a strategy talk uh, Jim and I uh, did. Uh, of course, you hosted it, Dan, but uh, about Ukraine, and uh, Jim and I both agree that uh, Russia didn't have any real the disincentives Russia faced were huge. But I made the comment, you have to look at the map, and that's being a plans officer or ops officer, and uh, you, you have to look at the map and see what the uh, opposition uh, is doing. And you could see Russian forces, I mean, the, the satellite photos in Belarus there, and uh, building up inside Russia right on the Ukraine border or behind the, the on the East of, uh, of the Don, uh, Donbass. I'm talking about the conventional forces. And uh, sure enough, they went ahead and Putin went ahead and did it. Why? Ultranationalism, and I think, I think everybody knows that the, I, I, he has sold himself on a, a myth of, of recreating a uh, great Russian empire 
because Russia is meant to be a world power and a great empire. And uh, taking Ukraine is, we've talked about it before, the, you know, the Rubik, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan. I think Xi Jinping is doing it himself in, in China. Uh, you saw what happened with Hong Kong. Uh, lots of disincentives to shutting Hong Kong, and they went ahead and did it. And uh, the canary in the coal mine, there have been other canaries in the coal mine vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese Communist Party. Taiwan, there uh, uh, and uh, several other senior leaders in uh, the Chinese Communist Party have sworn to recover. That's the way they uh, present it. Uh, uh, one China, and uh, they are building a military forces building them up. They also intend to become the, the hegemon in, uh, in Asia, and they are the, you know, the middle kingdom. That, that's, their, that's their active myth. China is going to become, once again, the middle, middle kingdom. And to do that, they have to supplant the United States. But in the process of supplanting the United States, not only undermining the United States, they need to take Taiwan. So you're left then with uh, as as a responsible uh, responsible military officer, say, what do you do to on the ground to show China that they're going to have to they will pay a huge price and perhaps they'll pay all the economic and political prices uh, that uh, Jim uh, described <laughs> and have lots of domestic problems with it. But if the failure. The failure to take Taiwan, if they make them does that topple the Chinese Communist Party, maybe it does. So what you do is build up your forces and fortify Taiwan uh, to the point that the sober elements in mainland China say, you know, we really can't do it. So, you know, in this week's uh, column I wrote, uh, I looked at a war game that uh, CSIS sponsored, and uh, I thought I thought it was flawed for a number of reasons. The way they set it up, nevertheless, some of their scenarios and uh, and the like, and they did a number of iterations at a large large aggregation level. Their their output was interesting, and I commented on uh, on uh, on some of it. Uh, one of the outputs is that China, uh, in most scenarios, especially where the U.S. reacted quickly, reacting quickly, Dan, means you got forces there, you had enough naval ships to take losses. But if the United States reacted quickly, and Japan and South Korea were also involved, uh, China fails. It's a disastrous uh, situation. For the global economy, uh, it's a disaster. Taiwan and American and Japanese bases, uh, U.S. bases throughout uh, 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 the Asian littoral and into the uh, into the Western Pacific were absolutely uh, devastated, destroyed by Chinese missile attacks. Now, just a quick sidebar on this: uh, there was a book came out called. Uh, what, 40, 45 years ago, War Plan Orange, which uh, oh, yes. naval yeah. press. I'm big. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent book. And it was about the 
orange was the code for the U.S. Uh, war with uh, Japan. And it fits into with uh, with all the naval training that Alan Ophi wrote about in uh, to uh, 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 to train the fleet. But uh, in that, the uh, author points out that the army proposed. Oh, doing this on memory because I hadn't read the book in, in, in over 20 years, but the uh, at least twice to fortify Guam. And of course, we have the fresh under it. I do remember another uh, element of that. The Army said we, we'd need to put two divisions, fortify it, and uh, no one will ever take it, no one being the Japanese. It didn't happen. In a alternative history of World War II, think about what a a thorn in the side of, of Imperial Japan, a Guam that's still holding out and fortified uh, is uh, would be if it if Guam hadn't fallen. But under the scenarios that the CSIS war game goes, it's it's Guam is overwhelmed with missile attacks, uh, and I'm assuming also that maybe there's some air raids as well. Huge losses of American ships, American surface ships. Uh, one of the out outputs, and I was uh, lo looking at it uh, uh, again yes yesterday, uh, was uh, you know, two carriers, lots of uh, lots of destroyers. Uh, one of the big successes out of it was U.S. submarines. And uh, China, China loses large, <coughs> loses a lot. Of its uh, uh, of its navy, but the other output they had on this, and this is just common sense, was turning Taiwan into a porcupine, you know, Taiwan porcupine, meaning uh, it can curl up and it has its bristles out and can withstand the Chinese attack. In order to do that, they've got to expand their armed forces, their their ground forces, and they've got to dig in. I did point out that Taiwan is already <laughs> has elements of being of that being a super bunker. I saw, saw some of them in 2002 when I was in Taiwan, and including I drove by, I didn't get a tour of it because it was off limits. But you could see this uh, air base that had uh, its uh, uh, hangars back carved into a mountain. If you think about it, similar way to the uh, Swiss do it in uh, their uh, uh, alpine bastions. That was on this was, uh, on the uh, eastern side of uh, uh, of Taiwan, being very difficult to hit. And of course, uh, the highway was structured so that it it could be used as a air airfield as well. The whole island needs to uh, come like uh, become that. And that, that was one of the recommendations by the CSIS <laughs> wargaming team. <clears throat> That's these are necessary preparations. Why? Because China is making unnecessary preparations, and you have to look at the map. I don't mean the map that's artificial and drawn, a map that's being where you're building hardware and you're training soldiers and crewmen, and you're also conducting aggressive operations, as which the Chinese Air Force is, where they cross the media line, they go into the the uh, air, air, air defense identification zone uh, of Taiwan's all the time. Uh, within the last week, uh, they had one day where it was 19, and then the next day there were 21 uh, communist Chinese aircraft uh, penetrating 
of course, they're gaining <clears throat> electronic intelligence on how they're being monitored by uh, the Taiwanese forces. Uh, electronic intelligence, how they're being monitored by everybody else operating uh, operating in the area, and also uh, the Taiwanese reactions. One of the things that uh, the criticisms, and uh, Jim commented on this, that Taiwan went through a period where uh, it basically didn't add any new pilots. I think it was from like 2010, 2011 to 2019. Maybe, maybe they added uh, 2021 new pilots or something like that. There's a pilot shortage, but they know it. And uh, they've also rebuilding their air forces as quickly as they can. It's going to take a uh, take a while because they're buying the F-16 Viper Viper version. Uh, good, but they're not going to win it just with air uh, air power and missile power. They're going to have to uh, if the Chinese if the Taiwanese are going to defeat a Taiwanese invasion. And by the way, Jim's Jim's right. There's 13 or 14 decent beaches. There are other places where you could land airborne forces if they could, could, uh, could uh, get in there. But there, uh, Taiwan's a rock, uh, and uh, lim limited uh, beaches and uh, limited beach capacity. But they have to be prepared to defend them. And why? Because China is building. It's not just a verbal and rhetorical threat. They're building forces designed for offensive war in the Asian littoral. Well, that's all very interesting. Um, Jim, did SPI ever do a game on the invasion of Taiwan? No, because it was never a realistic, uh, you know, uh, proposition. Uh, we did do, you know, a war in the East, which was mainly about, you know, Russia and China, which had a, a semi-active war. I mean, it was undeclared, but there were a lot of losses over a border dispute. Uh, and they finally settled that, but they, subsequently the, uh, the Soviet Union fell apart. The Chinese have have openly pointed out that they have studied the uh, what the Russians did in Ukraine, and they don't want to do the same thing. I mean, the Chinese have learned a lot from the mistakes of the Russians. Uh, they industrialized a lot quicker because unlike the Russians, they... They didn't wait for the Soviet, the Russians didn't, uh, you know, waited for the Soviet Union to, to basically collapse before they really, uh, you know, accepted Western industrial methods. Uh, the Chinese basically, uh, you know, started a market economy, uh, which took them a long way. But at the same time, they understood that a war would destroy a lot of their progress. Uh, Taiwan uh, is basically not worth taking. Now, they also, they, they, the, the Chinese noticed that the Russians thought, you know, uh, well, Ukraine really wasn't worth it for the Russians. I mean, uh, that's obvious. I mean, they, they've lost most of their army. Uh, it's going to take them years, probably a decade to, to rebuild in any way, shape or form. They got hit with enormous uh, economic sanctions. The economic sanctions on China, if they attacked Taiwan, would be even larger. And uh, unlike Putin, the uh, who is technically elected, but he's president for life because he changed the laws. Um, if he gets removed or dies, whatever, uh, then the, the war would probably sputter to an end uh, because, you know, the Russian people have a lot of forbearance, but they prefer 
prosperity over forbearance and, you know, suffering, you know, wartime poverty uh, to support a war that doesn't even involve the invasion of Russian territory. I mean, that's something, you know, Putin never was never was able to understand. Same thing with Taiwan. Yes, it'd be nice to have Taiwan back as the, the lost province, but at what cost? And the Chinese are a lot more pragmatic than the Russians. I mean, they looked at what the what the Russians, you know, lost, as it were, going into Ukraine. And they realized they can do the math. And, of course, the Chinese Communist Party hangs on to con- control in China only because they supply the Chinese people with an unprecedented level of affluence. They have a middle class with several hundred million people. Of course, they the kicker on that, which they didn't realize, you know, when they, they set let loose, you know, in the 1980s, you know, when it's glorious to be rich, that was the, that was the, the catchphrase, um, that the more affluent families have fewer children. <laughs> and there's no way to get around that. I mean, ask the South Koreans and the Japanese. Japanese population is shrinking. You know, the, the women get, you know, uh, families get wealthier, and the woman says, I don't want this. The, the, the Japanese make it worse by treating women, you know, terribly. You know, mothers, you know, conditions in the uh, in the obstetric in the obstetrics hospitals and whatnot. But that's another story. Uh, South Korea is suffering the same uh, problem. Europe, it's even worse. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the population is declining and uh, the Chinese are finding out that, you know, that is a back end, so to speak, of prosperity that they're also suffering. So, you know, the Chinese have always tended to be a little more wise. And Austin talked about, you know, eventually taking Taiwan. Yes, but the Chinese look take the long view. They say, well, if we can't do it now, uh, let's just wait a few decades, maybe a century or more, because time is on their side. You know, China, Taiwan will get more prosperous. But at the same time, Taiwan may eventually see a, a uh, more democratic China. Uh, that's going to happen in, in our lifetimes, I don't think, in China, but it's it's something that will eventually happen because we've seen the demonstrations, uh, if not just Tiananmen, but since then there have been, you know, a continuing agitation. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually the Taiwanese, if the, if the Chinese become copacetic enough, uh, even though right now the, the Taiwanese are, are very, you know, united in, in maintaining their independence, that's simply because the alternative is being subjugated by a police state, which is what China still is. So things change over time. And, of course, another thing to keep in mind about, like, the war, uh, war plant orange, one thing it, it sort of hints at that but underestimated was the impact of air power. You know, when war plant orange was, was put together, uh, the 1930s, they didn't realize how rapidly air power, aircraft capabilities were growing in the 1930s. That was really a, a golden age, as it were, for advancements in aircraft. They went from biplanes to uh, four-engine heavy bombers you know, in less than a decade. And um, that changed everything. And that meant that you could take an island, but you had to be able to supply it. And if the enemy had long-range aircraft, and, they, and, the, and the Japanese tried this during the war, but they didn't have enough of the long-range aircraft. In other words, the Japanese uh, basically scrimped and saved for several decades to build up this huge fleet, but they couldn't replace it. Every aircraft, every aircraft they lost, every pilot they lost, they couldn't replace it. And that's why at, at, towards the end of the war, the, we have what they call the Marianas Turkey Shoot, where an enormous quantity of, Russian, of, of Japanese aircraft were sent into the air, but the pilots were not trained. 
they could produce the the uh, aircraft, but the the uh, the pre-war pilots went through an, a strenuous training program. They had hundreds of hours, and they were superb in the early part of the war. And we realized that we developed tactics to mitigate their air superiority. And it didn't take more than a year or two before they, the Japanese had lost that, that air edge. And even during the Battle of Guadalcanal in uh, 1943, uh, the, uh, the, Japanese, the Japanese could not supply uh, their troops on uh, on Guadalcanal. And of course, towards the end, uh, the Japanese nicknamed Guadalcanal Starvation Island. So there's always the problem with supply. And of course, as Austin pointed out with the, with the, with the ballistic missiles, non-nuclear ballistic missiles, um, these are much more difficult to intercept. It, 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 it much complicates the problems of air defense. Um, and uh, in an initial, you know, uh, you know, battles of any future war, uh, you would have a hard time, you know, uh, maintaining your supply lines. And without those supply lines, especially to Taiwan, Taiwan doesn't feed itself. Nor could Japan during World War II. Uh, you know, the nuclear weapons, a lot of people don't realize this. Without the nuclear weapons, uh, the, there were two alternatives. A land invasion, which a lot of Americans were against. They, you know, the war had been going on for over three years, and Americans have no patience for a war that lasts longer than three years. But the other alternative was a continuous blockade. We had basically submarines and aircraft dropping mines uh, uh, all around uh, Japan to cut off their access to Manchuria, where they still could bring in food. So they were starving at the end of the war. And if that went on for another year, millions of Japanese would have starved. And given the attitude of the, uh, of the, of the military government, uh, which even tried to stop you know, Hirohito from you know, uh, surrendering uh, after the two atomic bomb drops, they were willing to sacrifice millions and millions of Japanese you know, for honor. Uh, whenever, so- whenever somebody mentions honor in a war, you're going to have a high casualty count. And uh, they, they, a lot of people don't like to believe that the A-bombs, uh, were, which, were, which were less, you know, effective than, than the, the firebomb raids, but they were, you know, one bomb, one aircraft. That was a scary proposition. And that basically scared them into accepting the unacceptable. Uh, as Hirohito you know, said on a radio broadcast, he had, that's the first time they ever had ever broadcast anything on the radio. But even while he was getting ready for that, his uh, palace guard had to had to halt off another military coup to stop him from making that speech. So it's all about, you know, what do we have to gain and what do we have to lose? And uh, there are a lot of people in these countries that study history. The Chinese are particularly keen on it, more so than in the West. And they realize that, mm, let's wait a century and see how it develops. And, and that's what you see them doing more and more. I mean, they'll, they'll rattle a saber you know, just to uh, to make the enemy nervous. Uh, but they realize that they can't control the South China Sea, which they won't be able to do in, in, a, uh, in a war situation. Uh, they will starve. They have to import food as well. They have to import oil. They're very much in the same situation as Japan uh, before World War II, and they're well aware of that. So, again, it depends on how much the uh, the combatants pay attention to history. Austin? Final words. And I want to point out that Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin both uh, toss the word honor around quite a bit. And uh, they do. And uh, look, uh, 
I agree with Jim's analysis about the price to China. And I hope that there is a rational uh, cadre in there with the power to stop. Let's call them, can we call them the honor guys? So I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, the real honor is, is, is worth having. <laughs> it's, it's valuable. Of a pseudo honor where you go and attack and kill somebody, you, you, you end up you're putting yourself at risk. Uh, Sun Tzu uh, points that out uh, constantly. The, that the latest uh, uh, annual threat assessment from uh, the U.S. intelligence uh, community says that uh, uh, one of their, their leadoff statements is that uh, China wants to be able to deter the U.S. Taiwan Strait crisis. By 2027, Andy Marshall in late 92, early 1993, a think problem that he gave that I was last one of the last things I heard him uh, say uh, was think about a, a war, a U.S. war for national survival between 2020 and 2025. And I said, you mean against China? And he says, that's right. And here we are because he could see what William at the time was. Of course, the director of the net assessments office and the office of the secretary of defense. And we're here. And we've seen what the Chinese, uh, the, the let's call it, let's call it the imperialist Chinese are what they want. And you've got to be prepared for it. So I'll leave it at that, Dan. Okay. Thanks. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this again at some time in the future. Everybody have a great week. Bye. Right back. Yeah. Take take care, guys. Bye.